Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. Last week we had missionaries from Puerto Rico here and they were with us. So today we're going to come back, connect to the messages from two weeks ago and three weeks ago. Uh, So uh, we're going to start in Colossians chapter 3 and then we're going to turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and then we'll be looking at Philippians chapter 3. And as we're reading from Colossians chapter 3, look up on the screen. Uh, We have compassion, tender mercies, and then kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, and loving. And as we looked on August 21st, uh, yeah, this is what we do. This is what God's kids do. Uh, So uh, today we're going to look at just two verses here from Colossians chapter 3, well, three verses, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, those who are chosen and brought into God's family, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies or compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. So we're to forgive and to bear with. It doesn't say you're going to get along just fine forever. There's going to be problems in life. There's going to be problems in homes. There's going to be problems in churches. And we're going to have to forbear. And we're going to have to put up with. And and then he adds to it in verse 14. But above all these things... Put on love, which is the bond of perfection or the bond of maturity. So we looked at this is what we do. And then last or two weeks ago on August 21st, the same day, two weeks ago, we looked at that same list and we applied this to different areas uh, because we were looking later in that chapter in Colossians. And we looked at this is how you have a thriving marriage because you're doing this list of things. And this is how you raise spiritually healthy kids, because you're teaching them and modeling these things for them. And this is how you thrive on the job, because you're doing these things that God wants, that God commands, that God demands for his kids to do. That's how things are supposed to work in the ideal world. In the ideal world, uh, compassion and kindness are seen everywhere. Everyone from the lowest to the highest, they're humble and meek, and spouses and families and co-workers, uh, they're just patient and forgiving, and everyone pursues loving thoughts and actions. Isn't that kind of what you saw reported on the news last week? Just this kind of stuff, right? See, the truth is, We do not live in the ideal world. We live in the real world where failure is normal. Where failure is normal. Now, you maybe haven't dropped your phone and cracked the screen like that, but you've all had one of those face plant moments in your life, right? And if you can't think of one, just turn to your family. They'll think of one for you. That, oh. I can't believe I did that. Once you wear glasses, you face plan a little differently because you don't want to get fingerprints on your glasses, so you, you handle it differently. But but we've all had that Paul beforehead <laughs> moment in our lives. In the ideal world, failure is normal. It's what you do next that defines you. After you fail, what do you do? After you stumble, what do you do? I remember watching a race, and it was a championship. Um, it was uh, it, it wasn't the NCAA, but it was the precursor to the NCAA championship. So it's a regional championship, and there were uh, five women who were running 
a 600 meter race. It was indoors. Usually you run 400 or 800 meter, but this was a 600 meter and the indoor track was 200 meters. So they were gonna run around the track three times and going around the track the second time, right as she put a burst of speed to try and move into the lead, her feet got, this lady's feet got tangled up with the, the girl running in front of her and she fell to the track. When she got back up, she was in last place. And she just started running and the announcers are talking about it and they're saying, she's gonna catch, she, she's gonna play, she's gonna get in there. And she just kept going and going and she ran a record last lap and she won. She was on the turf, on the ground and got up and passed all the other runners and finished. So it's what you do after you wipe out. That's what defines you. It's what you do after you fail. And what, no husband or wife has ever been perfect. That's, that's part of the pain for those who endure divorce. Even though I believe the Bible clearly defines there are some who are innocent partners in the divorce, and there are some who are the guilty partner, the one who has cheated, the one who has defiled the, the marriage vows, and then the other one would be deemed the innocent partner. But even the innocent partner knows they weren't perfect that they maybe didn't, they added to some of the dysfunction of the home because of who they were and how they reacted to some things. They're still the innocent one and the other one's still the one who caused everything to fail. But there's, there's times when we hold on to regrets and we hang on to them. And so this morning, I wanna challenge you from Philippians 3 to rewire your regrets, to rewire your regrets. There's a spot for taking notes in the bulletin and there's a kid's note sheet that some of the kids have. And so it, there's gonna be eight things that we'll list on there, so just to let you know that, so you have room uh, to, to fill that in in your notes if you want to. Uh, rewiring your regrets. See, uh, regret is a powerful tool if it helps you make better choices next time. The athlete who's running a race and they're almost to the finish line and they back off just a little bit right before the finish line and somebody passes them by hundreds of a second. They have moved from first place to second place or even third place because they backed off just a little bit. Well, you know what she's gonna do next time? She's gonna run through that tape. That's what they always tell you in track. You run through the tape. You don't stop at the tape. You run right through the finish line. And so it'll make her a better runner in the future because she has that regret. Or the woodcutter who cuts the, measures it and cuts it and it's one sixteenth of an inch too short. Just one sixteenth of an inch. But it's enough to throw the whole thing off. And when a piece is too short, you can't use it. You can always shave a little more off, but you can't add a little to it. So what you have to do is that person doing that carpentry work or that wood cutting, they've learned something. The old carpenter's rule is you measure twice, cut once. And they'll learn that and they'll do that because they blew it. Or the believer had an opportunity to witness for Christ and they didn't see it. They didn't seize upon it. They thought of something and, and, and then later on they're like, oh, like that would have been a perfect opening to share this with that person. Or I could have shared that or I, I could have done something and they didn't. And now they feel like it's too late. The, the moment passed. And then maybe there'll be a more effective witness for Christ in the future. But what if you have big regrets and no opportunities to correct things? What if your kids are grown and you regret your actions when they were young? How many of you adults here who have adult kids can think of something that you did when your kids were younger that you wish you hadn't done? Raise your hand. Everybody. So if you're one of those who regrets things, welcome to the club. 
What if your kids won't forgive you and they blame you for all their problems? A kid I grew up with, he was always fussing about his parents and we're in our 40s and I said, dude, you have not lived with your parents way longer than you lived with them. When does it stop being their problem and start being your problem? You know, what if your siblings or your parents or uh, somebody will never want to talk to you again? What if you've hurt somebody and not only will they not forgive you, but they won't even listen to you? There is no possibility of reconciliation because they won't even listen to your apology. You have no chance to resolve the problem. Or what if you never reconciled and that person is now dead? It can never be fixed. As a pastor, I've had the opportunity and responsibility of being involved in a lot of memorial services. When I first became a pastor, I counted on uh, because my pastor always counted on when I was a kid. He said he, he'd done more than a thousand memorial services at one point in his life. And when I got up into the couple hundred, I thought, you know what? I do not want to remember my ministry this way. I want to focus on, so I honestly have no idea. Kathy could probably put together a list, but I have no idea how many I've done. And some of them were as a chaplain and some of them were as a pastor. And uh, But you see, that I have many times been with family members who said, I never got the chance to make things right. So we have the ideal world. We're all loving and kind and forgiving and forbearing and, and humble. And then we have the real world where there's hurts, where we've exposed our heart, we've shared our heart with people, and they just stumped on it, trampled it, and abused it. So how do we deal with that? Well, uh, Philippians was written by a guy named Paul. Before he was called Paul, what was he called? Saul. Saul. He was uh, from Tarsus. He was a Jewish believer. He was uh, serving in Israel as a Pharisee. And uh, he was a leader in the Pharisees. They actually commissioned him to go torture Christians in other countries. And he would go on long journeys to try and find more Christians and punish them and torture them. And then God, Jesus Christ, spoke to him from heaven. And the light shone down on the Damascus road and Saul became a believer. And as he followed Christ, his name got changed from Saul, uh, the big guy, to Paul, the little guy. And he served Christ and he followed him and he became an apostle to the Gentiles. And so Paul had regrets. Paul shared a testimony how he was there when Stephen was put to death. And the scriptures record in the book of Acts that Saul was consenting to Stephen's death. Saul approved of it. And Saul had to live with that for the rest of his life. And when Saul came back to Jerusalem, there were family members of people that he had mistreated and even had put to death, and they had to accept him as their brother in Christ. There was some tension, there was some difficulty. And, and then Saul, now Paul, he's writing this letter and he's wanting to encourage us in where we are right now and how we get beyond the regrets of our lives. So in Philippians chapter three, look with me in verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected or completely mature, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, writing to brothers and sisters in Christ, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, why does he say this one thing I do and then describe three things? Because it's all one thing. How many of you have ever played basketball? 
When you're playing basketball, sometimes you have to shift. You're guarding this person over here. You've got a teammate over there, this person here. Then another person comes over here, and you and your teammate shift. And you shift, and now your teammate is guarding the guy you were guarding, and you've moved to guard this guy who came around. And so you shift, and, and it's all one thing. You turn from, you turn to, and then you follow through. You stick with it. So that's what Paul's saying. I'm turning from the things which are behind. I'm reaching forth to the things which are ahead. And then I'm pressing on toward that. So I'm turning from, turning to, and pressing on to follow through. It's all one motion. It's all one thing. He didn't say, well, I stopped doing this. Oh, yeah. Now I'm going to start doing that. No, it's one thing. This one thing. I turn away from, I turn toward, and I stick with it. And that's why he, Paul, who had big time regrets, could serve the Lord and be faithful to the Lord because he had done that. Turn from, turn to, follow through. He had stuck with it. So he could say, I have not obtained. I do not count myself to have apprehended, but I am reaching forward toward it. And that's what we need to do. I don't know if you've looked in the mirror lately, but you're not perfect. And it should come as no surprise to you. If it really surprises you, you need to talk to the people who live with you. They're fully aware that you're not perfect. Even if the only thing living with you is a cat, your cat knows you're not perfect. Okay? So, you, what do we do? We're going to rewire our regrets. There's not a person alive who is not, I'm sorry, a person who is not narcissistic, totally absorbed in themselves. Any person who's not that way, there's not a single person who's going to believe they did everything exactly right. The only person who ever walked on earth and did everything exactly right was a guy named Jesus Christ. Actually, Jesus the Christ. He was a man named Jesus, and he was sinlessly perfect, and he died in our place, and he rose from the grave, as we were talking about in Sunday school, and now he lives on high and intercedes for us, and we rejoice in his victory over death. But we, we have regrets. There are people who get tattoos. I, I was reading about a guy who had, had no tattoo, tattooed on both of his shoulders. Sorry, no regrets. <laughs> he had no tattoo. Man. He had no regrets tattooed on both of his, his And then he realized that he had regrets. Now he's going through the painful process of tattoo removal. He's already had a dozen sessions and he's got a few more. And, and his arms will never be as good as they were before that tattoo. The only people who live with absolutely no regrets are narcissistic people. I mean, we can not regret the sacrifices we made for Christ. Absolutely no regret on that regard. But we will have some regrets in the way that we live. So how do we deal with it? Well, let's follow some of the patterns that we find in Scripture. Okay, first of all, Spend time in God's Word regularly. Spend time in God's Word regularly. The Apostle Paul, toward the end of his life, toward the end of his ministry, wrote a letter to Timothy. And in that letter to Timothy, which we call 2 Timothy, uh, because it was the second one that he wrote that the Scriptures preserved for us, and he wrote to Timothy, and he said, bring my cloak. And then he asked Timothy to bring a couple other things. Do you remember what were those other things? The books and the parchments. What were the parchments? The scripture. Here's the Apostle Paul. 
the guy that God had used to write 13 books of the New Testament, the guy that God had used to start hundreds of churches, reached thousands of people for Christ, and Paul said, bring me the scriptures. I want to study. I want to keep growing. He wanted to study the Word of God because regular scripture reading helps you press forward. There's some truth to the fact that you are what you eat, right? In fact, uh, God has blessed, uh, and I am diabetic, but God has given my body the opportunity to not need medicine. I had to completely revamp everything I ate and restructure it several times in the last 30 some years that I've been diabetic, but I still don't need to take medicine because we can control a lot if we eat healthfully. We can control a lot of things going on inside our bodies. Well, you know, you are what you eat intellectually, too. You are what you eat mentally and emotionally and spiritually. So if you spend time watching television, reading magazines, reading uh, news blurbs on your phone, uh, and you're not in God's Word, if you're scrolling Facebook and you're not focusing on what God's Word says, then you're putting stuff in that's not helping you spiritually. What does gigo mean? G-I-G-O. Garbage in, garbage out. If you want to get past your regrets, if you want to be able to leave some things in the past, spend more time in God's Word listening to God's word. Uh, my pastor used to say when I was a kid, this book, the Bible, will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. It's hard to read God's word and choose to make sinful choices. And you bring me the books, bring me the parchments. We need to spend time in God's word regularly. God's word gives hope for your sorrow, new direction for your failure, and a future focus when daily life is difficult. Focus on God's word. Spend time listening to, reading, learning from God's word. Secondly, confess your faults and failures to God. Confess your faults and failures to God. I know uh, the scripture says confess your faults one to another, but we primarily do confess it to God. Now, uh, David, King David, he gave a master class in confession in the Psalms. He wrote several Psalms that were a complete uh, confession of sin. In fact, David uh, made that commitment, made that confession, and wrote it out in a psalm to be sung in Israel. God knows the fullness of your sin, but is willing to forgive you anyway. Is that not amazing? No, some people will not forgive you. Some people will not forgive you. They will hold it against you for 40 years. But God will forgive you when you ask. Say it with me if you can, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of Every bit of it. So confess your faults and failures to God. Uh, when you confess to him, he will do the right thing. He will do the just thing. He will forgive because it's the righteous thing for him to do. So when you have a regret, confess it to God. How many times do you need to confess it? One sin, one confession. Now you maybe don't even know all of your sins because God's a holy God and you're not, and so you're not aware of everything. But once you confess it, God is forgiven. What if you confess your sins and the scripture said God removes that sin from you? He casts it as far away as the east is from the west to the depths of the sea and that sin will be remembered against you no more. And now you bring up, you feel guilty again and you confess that sin again. All right? If God's a human, 
He's not, praise God. But if he is human, then God would say, what sin? I don't know what you're talking about. Because he's removed it. He's forgotten it. So you don't have to confess sin twice. You confess it once. Now, later on, if you feel guilty for that same sin, you can say, you know, God, please help me get over this guilt for that. Help me get beyond some of this regret. But you don't have to confess it again and be forgiven again because he has already forgiven you. Now, so you're spending time in his word and you're confessing your sin. And thirdly, you need to repent and correct your behavior to the word of God. Now, when we use the word repent, what does that word describe or imply? A change of direction. A change of direction. So, imagine you're driving in your car. And you drive past your exit or the turn you were supposed to make. And you say, oh, I just missed my turn. That's confession. I just missed my turn. So you're telling the other people in your car, I'm now going the wrong way. After you confess, what do you need to do? Repent. You need to change direction. You might need to make a U-turn to come back around or some cities. You might need to make a whole bunch of right turns to get back to that spot because they don't allow U-turns or two-way streets. And, but, but you have to change your direction. So you confess and you repent and you make the adjustment like David did in Psalm 51. David wrote out these words. I'm going to read just two verses from Psalm 51. Verse 10. And then verse 13. In verse 10, we're going to see his confession. In verse 13, we're going to see his repentance. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's his confession. And then his repentance. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. See, David changed. He confessed, and then he changed his direction. And instead of being a stumbling block, a bad example, he's now going to try and teach people to trust and follow the Lord. He's changed his direction. So you need to confess and you need to repent and correct. And when, you, when I say correct your behavior to the word of God, well, what does that mean? Let's say you're reading in your devotions and your devotions say, you should not steal. And so you're reading in God's word, you should not steal, and now you're gonna apply that into your life. So what if after reading that, you're aware that you, uh, you know, you're in your house and you have a pen that says US government because you work in a government office and that pen's supposed to stay at work? Well, what do you do then? You don't throw away the evidence, you take it back. Uh, what if uh, thou, you won't steal and you remember, you know, when I was at work, I didn't really put in a full day's work. I got paid for eight hours, but I really only worked five or six. I spent some time on Facebook on my computer when no one was looking. Well, then next time you do better. You stop doing that and start doing something else. What if you're reading in your Bible and it says you're supposed to show kindness and love to people and there's somebody you'd really rather punch in the face? Well, then you talk to God about it. You say, God, I really want to do what you said, but it feels so hard. Give me the strength. You don't just say, oh, well, for that person, ain't no way. I had a believer once tell me, I don't get mad, I get even. Well, his relationship suffered because of it. His marriage ended because of it. So repent and then correct your behavior to the word of God. This assumes that you're reading the word of God and paying attention to it as you're reading and studying and learning. All right, number four, now you need to humble yourself and confess to other people, if possible and then genuinely apologize. So humble yourself, confess to other people, and then genuinely apologize. 
I saw a movie where this uh, lady told her husband he should apologize to her daughter, to, to their daughter. And so he goes in to apologize to the daughter and he walks in and he says to her, you know, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that things got out of hand like that. And, you know, if you had handled it better, then I wouldn't have had to do that. And, and so I, I really hope you won't do that again. So then I won't be tempted to behave like I did. And, and, you know, I'm glad we cleared this up. Don't you feel better now? Do you think the daughter felt better? Not a chance. Was that an apology? Not even close. What is involved in an apology is you admit guilt. You admit your own culpability. Now, yes, maybe the daughter's behavior was bad. And so that's something else you deal with at another time. For now, you deal with your mistake and apologize for your error. There needs to be a brokenness over your own sin and the hurt that you cause. Because people are impacted by our behavior. When David repented, he wrote several songs of repentance. We just read a couple verses from one of them, Psalm 51. The entire nation of Israel knew about David's repentance because he was broken and he repented and he confessed and he wanted God to forgive. When someone demands forgiveness, they're not truly repentant. If they tell you, I need you to forgive me, they're not repentant. <clears throat> you can't go to God and say, you know, I'm sorry I did that. Now you have to forgive me. No, there's a brokenness on the inside. In fact, sometimes you do, might not even want to request forgiveness. You can say something like, I'm really sorry that I did that. I feel terrible because of that. I would love to have you forgive me. But if you can't, I understand that. And I just want you to know, I feel bad for what happened and then leave the responsibility with them. See, when you, now, let me give you a little caution. When you confess, you don't need to tell every detail. So what if you were really angry at someone? And so if you, you were angry and you responded a little in anger, now you can confess to them, I'm sorry, I felt angry, and I responded poorly. You don't have to say, I'm sorry, I was so angry at you, I wanted God to let you die. You don't have to say that. That's not gonna help. In your apology, you need to show compassion. If you were seriously, really upset and very angry, it doesn't help the relationship if you tell every detail of how angry you were. Admit your anger and press on. So an apology needs to be genuine. It needs to be real. It also needs to be appropriate. Be kind even in your confession. Now only God can forgive sin. So if you are the one receiving an apology, uh, I've had to do this with some people and when a person has apologized and, and I, I've said, I can forgive you for the hurt you caused me. Only God can forgive sin. We can't forgive sin. We can forgive the hurt the person caused us. Uh, but I've shared before, my dad was a good guy. He loved the Lord. He had some baggage in his life, raised in an abusive environment. My grandpa once told me that he was better dad than his dad was, and that my dad was a better dad than he was, and I was a better dad than my dad was. He said, maybe your kids will get it right. <laughs> uh, uh, but, but my dad uh, was really harsh with us boys, and sometimes responded uh, brutally. And uh, he did it with the girls, but he did it with the boys. And so at one point, uh, my dad apologized. When I was in my 30s, he said, listen, I really messed up, and I know I messed up, and I know I was too harsh, and I'm sorry, and I really hope you can forgive me, and I did. And so for the last 30 years of my dad's life, we had a good relationship. 
because he forgave me for the stuff I did when I was a teenager and angry with him, and I forgave him for the stuff that he did to me when I was a kid, and, and because we were willing to forgive each other, we had a good relationship so we could get beyond the regrets of what could have been and focus on what is and how to make what is better. My older brothers and I were kind of rude and mean to our sister. I guess kind of is not really appropriate. We were very rude and, and kind of and mean to our older sister. And, and uh, I don't know why. My older brother and I, we've asked each other, why would we treat her like that? We have no idea why. But Denise showed love to us and forgave us, and we have a good relationship now. I was texting my sister yesterday because we have a good relationship now. We interact with each other regularly. And she could have just as easily said, you boys are terrible. I want nothing to do with you for the rest of my life. And it would have been deserved because we were rotten. Now, it was sinful, it was inappropriate, but that's the reality of what it was. And I thank God that my life has changed since then, and I treat my siblings and other people a whole lot better than I did back then. But she chose to forgive. Now, it's hard to forgive when you've been hurt deeply. And the people you love the most can hurt you the most. But when you're in a position to be the forgiver, do it. It's way better for you. You will be blessed and enriched by acting a little bit more like Jesus and a little bit less like your old self. God will forgive the sin, and we need to be willing to do so as well. Now, number five, you need to make restitution if possible. All right, how many of you have ever heard of a guy named Zacchaeus? You think Zacchaeus was the tallest guy in the room? No, no. Might have been the shortest guy in the room. Zacchaeus, what was his job? He was a tax collector. And our day, tax collectors have to follow the law. I had an uncle who, after he retired from the Air Force, worked for the IRS for 30 years, and he told me, Nobody respects you when you work for the IRS. And I said, duh. <laughs> but the truth is, he was good at his job, and, and he did a good job, and he cared about people. But, uh, but if you, in our day, the IRS has to follow the law. In fact, you can sue the IRS and take them to court, and the court has sometimes ruled against the IRS because they didn't handle something according to law. Uh, but in that day, there was no backup system. Uh, and, and the money that the tax gatherers got went to Rome. It didn't go to Israel. And so they gathered money from their fellow citizens and sent it to the enemy. And so people hated them, despised them. And they could charge extra. They could say, you know, well, you're in, in our day, Here's your tax bill. Let's just arbitrarily say it's $1,000. There's your tax bill, it's $1,000. But the tax person can't say, yeah, it should be 1,000, but I don't like you, so it's gonna be 1,500. They can't do that. They can try, but they can't get away with it. But Zacchaeus could. And then when Jesus showed love to Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus wanted to follow Jesus, he said he was gonna do something to the people he might have wronged. Do you remember what it was he was gonna do? He was gonna restore it, how much? Fourfold, four times more. So if he stole 500 from them, he was gonna pay them back 2,000 bucks. He was gonna restore, make restitution if possible. Now, some things are emotional hurts. You can't make restitution for an emotional hurt. But if it's financial, you can make some restitution. If there are certain issues, you can make some. So if possible, make restitution. You have a responsibility to try and improve the circumstance. Number six, cast your cares on the Lord and seek his peace. Cast your cares on the Lord and seek his peace. We've said before that you actually 
live for an audience of one. Your, your goal is to please the one, the Lord God of heaven and earth. And so if 7.9 billion people on planet earth are all mad at you at the same time on the same day, but God looks down from heaven and approves of you, it's a good day. It doesn't feel like a good day, but it's a good day. You don't have to make your enemies happy. Your goal is to make God happy. Your goal is to receive God's approval. In fact, politicians, I mean, the year that uh, George H.W. Bush, the year that he was running for re-election, his approval, reading, <coughs> approval rating at the beginning of that year was the highest approval rating of any president ever since polls were, and then he didn't win re-election. See, you, you can't possibly make everybody happy. It's impossible to please everyone. So what do you do with other people who keep throwing up your past failures in your face? Well, when I first became a pastor, uh, a church in Saborita, about 100 miles away from here, when I first became a pastor there, there was a lady who was involved with the church. Her kids were involved in children's ministry there, but she didn't attend that church. But when she found out I was going to be the pastor there, her older brother was one of my friends in high school. She remembered some of the stuff her older brother and I did before I started following Christ. She told everybody. And everybody, they're like, oh, we heard all about you. And I said, that, that's the old Terry. That Terry doesn't exist anymore. That guy died. That guy's gone. The new Terry is one who's choosing to follow Christ. I don't know why she did that. Maybe she was trying to make herself not feel as bad for some of the life choices she had made. I don't know. There was no value to it. But it stirred up some people, and some people were upset that they had a pastor who had a past like that. I never went to prison, didn't spend a very short time in jail, but I never went to prison. I never murdered anybody. I, I never committed any of the big crimes that we would call big crimes in our culture or even in the scripture. Uh, but, but I was a problem kid and I caused problems. That's what problem kids do, right? And I was a sinner. And what do sinners do? They sin. And yet God forgave me completely. And so this person was stirring things up and it was hurting the church where I was pastoring. So, Kathy and I did not go confront her. We, we just took our burden to the Lord and left it there. You know, within a year, nobody talked about what my past was like. They just focused on where we were now and what we were doing now. And so some adult kids keep fussing at their parents over wrongs their parents did when they were three and four years old. They remind them that they failed them. Well, guess what? How many perfect parents have there been on planet Earth? None. None. There has been a perfect son, Jesus. There's not been a perfect parent. None. So you can remind them that no parent is perfect, and, and you can tell them you're sorry for the past, but you're not the same person you were back then. You've changed. And you're trying to follow the Lord now. And you can remind them that they were not perfect either. That they caused some of the issues. But God put you together in the same house. And God, who understands everything, allowed you to be their parent. Knowing that you would have issues. But also knowing that he could use those issues for good in your life. Because those who love God, those who are the called according to his purpose, are 100%. Everything that happens is used for good in their life. 
God never looks at what your kids have had to go through and goes, oh, oops, why did I put those kids in with those adults? Never. Always. He looks at them and says, there's a reason why I put them in your house. And if they will follow me, they'll figure it out. And they'll grow. So don't beat yourself up. Cast your cares on the Lord and seek his peace. On the internet, there are people called trolls. What do trolls do on the internet? They what? They start arguments. They harass. They belittle. They never stand up and give you their information so that you can respond to them. They just attack and stir up and harass. Well, sometimes adult kids act like trolls. And so sometimes your employees, if you're a boss, they'll act like trolls. So you need to leave it with the Lord. Don't let the trolls pull you down. It's true on the home, it's true in the job. Cast your cares on the Lord, seek his peace. Number seven, learn from and live with your regrets, but don't let them sideline you. Learn from and live with your regrets, but don't let them sideline you. The apostle Paul said, I am the chiefest of sinners, but he also learned to live with that, and he didn't let it sideline him. So failure is human. Paul regretted his sins against Christians, but he didn't let it stop him from honoring God from this day forward. Paul said, I forgot those things that are behind. I'm pressing toward the things that are ahead, and I'm going to keep moving in this direction. I'm not going that way. I'm not going back there. Years ago, a friend of mine shared his frustration that when his kids were little, he didn't follow the Lord. And now that they were adults, he didn't have the influence over them. And he didn't set a good example for his kids when they were children. But I encourage him that my kids knew him only as a man of God who's trying to follow the Lord and please the Lord. So you can't change your past. So here's some advice, okay? Don't live there. You can't change your past. Don't live there. Don't live in the past. Once you have confessed and once you have repented, Let's just say that I really offended Ben. Can't think of anything. Hopefully he can't either. But let's just say that I really offended Ben. And so I go to Ben and I apologize to Ben. And I ask his forgiveness. I confess what I did. Tell him I'm sorry. Tell him I'd love for him to be able to forgive me. And Ben says, no way. I'm never going to forgive you. Ever for the rest of my life. You, I'm going to hold this against you. Okay, is Ben's behavior now my problem? No. No. No, see... My responsibility was to confess and repent. Now, what Ben might do with that, that's Ben's problem. If Ben chooses not to forgive me, it doesn't mean I'm not forgivable. Because if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You are forgivable. You are. Every one of you is forgivable. And if somebody chooses not to, that's a problem they have with God, not with you. So learn to live from them and don't let regret sideline you. Uh, move forward. Some people will not forgive you. I, I was a pastor for many years and the friend of mine from high school, his mother would still not let me in her house because I did something obnoxious to her older son. And it was obnoxious and it was wrong. And I repented and my friend forgave me and his brother forgave me, but their mother would not. And so when my kids were, we'd go see them because our families were friends and I, I could go into the backyard, but I couldn't come into the house. And when I had to use the bathroom, I had to walk down to Circle K. I couldn't come in the house to use the bathroom. I was never allowed in her house again. Even though I had changed, I had repented. You know what? I cast that burden on the Lord and I left it there 
And I said, I can't change what I did, but I can be better in the future. And so you're not responsible for their choices. You're responsible for your own behavior. Right? One last thing. Look to the future with hope because it's never too late to do better tomorrow. As the Apostle Paul said, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are ahead, I press toward the mark or toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press forward. Look to the future with hope. Paraphrasing Paul, I set aside my failures and my successes in the past, and I'm looking toward the future. My goal is the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, and I'm getting closer every day. We turn away from and we turn toward. We rewire our regrets. We change the way we think about them. We change the way we consider them. We look forward. Because every human being that's ever lived except Jesus has had some regrets. And some people let their regrets define them and hinder their own growth and their own movement toward pleasing God. And some people learn to set their regrets aside because they've done what they could to try and correct it, and now they're just going to follow God no matter what. We need to be in that group. Let's follow Him. So, yes, in the ideal world, the home works like it should, the job works like it should, the marriage works like it should, but in the real world, there's real problems. We need to choose that we're going to follow God. And when we don't, we're going to repent. We're going to move away. And we're not going to allow the regret of past actions to hinder our ability to serve God today. At the men's day, we looked at the, the sign I held up at the last men's activity. We had, such were some of you. That's where we used to live. But we don't live there anymore. Praise God. We can follow Him. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love and grace. Thank you that we are forgivable because you are a gracious and forgiving God. Thank you for your love and your grace. I pray that you would give us the freedom to follow you, the freedom to not let our past hinder, not let our past complicate what we're trying to do for you now. And Lord, for those people who hold on to a grudge, Pray that you would encourage them to repent. That you would encourage them to show love and grace, just like you showed to them. I pray that they would show it to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.